Welcome to How Not to DM. I'm your host, Derek. Thanks for joining me on my quest to interview the very best dungeon and game masters on this plane of existence. To help support the show, you can check out my link tree or the show notes for my affiliate links. If you buy anything from these affiliates, whether it be dice or game accessories or nerdy clothing, then a little bit of what you bought, a little percentage of that goes to help support the show. So I really appreciate it. Before we jump into the guest intro, one quick promotion. I was able to guest run a game on a friend's show called The Bad Venture Club. And I ran through my Kickstarter game from last year called Two Hot One Shot, or an amended version of it. And it was a ton of fun. I appreciate the Bad Venture Club folks for letting me come on and run the game for them. It's the first time I've ever recorded myself running a game, so I'm really excited and anxious to see how it sounds. As of this recording, I haven't heard it yet. But that episode will have come out last week, the first part, and then part two ought to be coming out a week after this releases. So if you haven't yet, go check out the Bad Venture Club. Go add that episode to your queue here and listen to my first foray into recording myself run a game. And yeah, support them if you can. And now let's jump into this episode's guest intro. Thomas is one of those cool DMs who lets his players roll inspiration after their first roll. He started iCast Fireball with some friends from his college days based on his own love for actual play shows. Thomas has a definite style and is very descriptive and immersive with his game running. Enjoy. I'm Thomas. I'm the DM for iCast Fireball, just a fun actual play 5D adventure. I actually started TTRPGs D&D back in 3.5. I had a friend who was really into 3.5, and he had some neighbors and a bunch of brothers around his age, and he was an author. Still is. I love his stories. I mean, he's not published. It's more of a hobby for him, but fantastic imagination that he has. And so he was always like creating stories and wanting to run them and test them out, right? And so I would get in on a few games here and there, but because his brothers and his friends lived so close to him, if not in the same house, and I lived 30 minutes away, they'd always play games without me. It was fun, kind of. It was a lot of fun to be able to explore 3.5 with all the crunchiness and all the math, but that's where I kind of got my start. I know that, you know, you're not necessarily married to the crunch, but I feel like I can tell that you are good at that part when you need to be, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, I I appreciate that. I try to be. I mean, there's a lot to remember, especially as a DM. And crunch, if you're juggling too many things, the crunch side tends to be the first thing that gets dropped if you are juggling too many balls in the air. That's true. It helps that your players know their characters fairly well. At least in the edit, you know, there's not a lot of what can I do and what is this, what's that. So anyway, we're very blessed. All of our uh, of our players and I cast Fireball, they're just as invested in their characters and in the mm. crunch of their characters as I am. And thankfully, I have Ned, who is I'll call him a pseudo co-DM kind of. I'll just ask him for a random rule and be like, hey, Ned, what's the ruling on this? And he'll go, I believe it's this. And then we'll quickly look it up and we'll go from there, even if it's against his character and like I'm about to kill his character. So (laughs) what you kill Fleeple? (laughs) Yeah, right. There'd be a revolt if that ever happens. (laughs) And he also co-hosts the other part of your show, which I'm sure we'll get to in a little bit. So, yeah, that makes sense. Do you remember the first game you ran? Do you remember what system it was and the kind of the situation and how it went? 
in high school, I did 3.5 D&D. And then in college, I had a couple of buddies who were doing Pathfinder First Edition, and I joined in. But I was approaching tabletop role-playing space as a video game still. I'm going to do mechanically whatever I can, and I'm going to try and break the rules, and I just want to have fun by being cool. I didn't quite get all of the aspects to it until I watched a YouTube video called D&D Diesel with Matt Mercer DMing Vin Diesel for an upcoming movie that he was doing. I believe it's called The Witch Hunter. So it's a 30-minute one-shot, basically. And Matthew Mercer just breezed through it. And just seeing what he's able to do and craft, get, and like who he was able to engage, what he was able to do, and he really injecting that acting aspect and injecting story and relationships amongst characters. It really, like, it was that switch and that light bulb that, like, really ignited it opened the door to like the other aspect of TTRPGs. And so at that point, I really wanted to play in that way and try it out. But none of my friends were going to be the DM or the GM at that point. And so I said, well, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to have to do it myself. And so I took up Pathfinder First Edition and I tried running just the intro adventure they have, uh, Welcome to Sandpoint, and then going right into Rise of the Rune Lords. It was a ton of fun. I had no idea what I was doing, but thankfully none of my players had played like ever. And so they didn't know what they were doing either. And so it was an amazing experience of learning growth. We all were exploring that role playing and relationship background and really trying to flesh out what the system actually was. So it was a lot of fun. Nice. It does sound like a lot of fun. Was that in college or was that in high school? Sorry. I jumped a couple years there. So I did a little bit in high school, but then I jumped to college. So I was roughly 25 at that time. So in college up in uh, Rexburg, Idaho. (laughs) With all of the experience you've had running games since that point, what are some of the big blunders, mistakes, things you've done wrong that you feel like would be valuable lessons for other people who are looking into running games or who have been running games for a while? Gosh, oh man, I have made so many. I think every person who's been a DMGM for any extended period of time can point to a bunch of their mistakes, right? In one of my home games, it was a somewhat new player. And I'll preface this by saying I had a really big struggle and I'm still trying to find the balance of honoring source material while at the same time adapting it to your players and your table, right? I'm running this uh, one shot called Hollow's Last Hope, I believe it's what it's called. It's a Pathfinder one shot that Ned actually ran me through uh, using the Savage Worlds Pathfinder system recently. It was a lot of fun. In there, there are these lumber people who work in the lumber yard or the forest, and they leave the city and they go off to their camp. Well, I had a rogue who was following them and saw that they left the city, and he goes, I'm going to hide behind these barrels and wait for them to come back. Well, in my mind, I knew that they weren't coming back because they were going off to work for days and weeks. And so I'm like, they're gone. I was like, okay, well, go ahead and roll a stealth check, knowing that nothing was going to happen, right? And so I was like, okay, it was just a classic moment. And it was kind of a funny moment. And thankfully, the player loved it. He thought it was so funny. He was stealthing behind a bunch of barrels. And then I went to somebody else at the table. Then I came back to him and described him waiting and nothing happening. And then I went back to another person. And I did that like four times. And then after the fourth time, I was like, it's been three hours. What do you do? And he just, my character stands up and yells, forget this. (laughs) (laughs) He thought it was so funny that nothing happened despite his great stealth role and his well thought out plan. He's just one of those kinds of people when things fail, he thinks it's absurdly hilarious. But, you know, thinking back, I was like, gosh, that was so dumb. 
why didn't I honor my player by throwing them a bone or by giving them information from like passerbys of the town being like, good about the sickness or, oh, I, I, I wish those lumber people would stay out of our city. You know, just a little tidbit that he could take back a little rumor. But instead, I was trying to honor the one-shot material so faithfully to my player's detriment and to, thankfully, not for this person, but to destroy their fun at the table, right? Right. It's a very much a rookie mistake because now you're listing like all of the things you could have done. Like, oh, I could have done this or this or this or this. You know, you got a whole list of ideas that come to you after the fact. And it comes with, you know, experience and it comes with practice and that kind of thing. I think a lot of us have done something similar to that, but that's a very good lesson. Thinking of ways that you can take the way that the module or whatever it is, the encounter is supposed to work and like adjust for all of the chaos that your players are going to inject, right? Being able to improv with their choices, right? Be like, hey, I don't want to follow the main storyline. I'm going to follow this. Well, how can I inject some sort of reward for them thinking creatively? And that's just as a new DM who's just like, well, I only prepared this, so I don't know how to work around that. It can be a little intimidating and it can be very hard because you don't want it to go too off the rails because you're afraid that things are going to be not fun if they go off the rails, which sometimes they are and sometimes they're not. I like that you call it a reward, though. I think you're absolutely right that a seasoned DM and a calculating DM will reward players' creative behavior instead of trying to stifle it if it's not matching the story, right? Because if you keep downplaying or brushing off the stuff they think of, they're going to either find a new game where they can do it, or they're just going to shut down and stop thinking of fun and exciting things. And then that just, yeah, that's just not as fun for everybody involved, right? Exactly. D&D or whatever the TTRPG is, even board gaming, it's all about engagement. Without engagement, there is no fun, or the fun is minimal and there's a lack of it. So whatever can be done to encourage engagement, as absurd as that engagement may be, that should be rewarded. You know, it should be encouraged, especially for new players, because like uh, teaching a new subject, if someone is trying to learn math, for instance, I'm a math major, so of course I gravitate to that. If they're trying to learn a new concept and you just are like, all right, try and solve this and they solve it and you immediately just go, no, that's wrong. You're dumb. Stop. Then they are going to stop. And same thing with any new game that you're going to teach. If you're like, well, you're like, what do you want to do? And they're like, I want to do this. You're like, well, you can't. You're a druid. You can't fly. Or you're the cleric. You're not the wizard or, or whatever it may be. Then they're going to be like, oh, well, then I'm not going to suggest anything anymore. And I'm just going to sit here quietly. And then it's just you, the DM, trying to look cool, which is just boring and nobody likes that. Nope, nope. Nobody likes that. Except for maybe you, but it's not going to last very long, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, man. So on the flip side of that question, what are some of the most fun and memorable moments from the games that you've run, whether it be improv or combat or exploration, you know, one of the three pillars? And also it could be part of home games or it could be part of the show itself without spoilers, I guess. So I'm going to talk about the podcast, actually. So minor spoilers for like Caldera Arc is what I'll call it. So kind of near the beginning of the podcast, there was a enemy that they come across that is a boss battle. But the players, this is a pre-generated adventure for anybody that doesn't follow I Cast Fireball. We're running through Tyranny of Dragons. There is a boss battle, but everybody's only level three or level four. And so it's like, how do you make a boss battle epic at such a low level without just like doing a crazy amount of damage can, which can totally destroy your players? 
And I was thinking like, well, wouldn't it be really fun? Like some of the cool, like climactic battle moments that I've experienced watching other actual plays like Critical Role or things like that is legendary actions and not the unknowability about when the enemy is going to attack and when they're going to interact with the audience, with the players. So I was like, well, wouldn't that be fun if this NPC had legendary actions? And so trying to like figure out how those legendary actions worked, like wouldn't just be too broken, but still be like challenging enough. And the way the battle played out, it being so tense and so tight, like everybody had to be on their A game when it came to their mechanics and whether there were close calls or whether there weren't close calls. And like, it was just such a satisfying moment to see the improvisation of my players mixed with the preparation that I had done beforehand for this NPC. And I think that's where improvisation really does shine in D&D specifically is when the DM and the players have done a lot of prep work outside of the session or as much as they can, right? It allows for more improvisation in the session because you have more tools at your arsenal. You have more rules, you have more mechanics, you have more spells that you understand. It really allows for that flexibility and that flexibility really helps you feel like you are in the moment. Because in the moment, in real life, we're only hampered by our own imagination, right? In any given situation. And so the more you invest your character and you feel like you're your character, the more you can actually have that natural reaction to the situations around you. So it was a ton of fun. And we still talk about that today. I like the concept of preparing enough to be able to improv. I found that that's certainly the case in my own home games as well. If I've thought enough about the world or the particular city they're in or the faction they're engaging with, then it's easy to decide exactly how things are going to interact and change and react to the player's decisions in the moment instead of trying to keep them on whatever rails I have or just say, I don't have anything for this. You know, like you got to stop talking to this person, right? Right. And again, it, it comes with practice. But yeah, I feel like the more prep work I do, the easier it is to prep later on too. Like I prep a lot at the beginning of games I run and then it definitely tails off because it's like, oh, I've already thought about all this stuff. I can do you know, whatever I've thought of so far. So, yeah. Do you have any homebrew rules or mechanics or anything like that that you like to use that make the game more fun or interesting or engaging for people around your table? And that can be system agnostic, but yeah. Anything that comes to mind? In iCast Fireball, we use a lot of the optional rules in the Dungeon Master's Guide. Like, for instance, we use Cleave. One of the big reasons why we use the optional rules is, one, they're awesome. Two, it's because we have such a small party, right? And so if there's 12 people coming at three characters, it's like they might be a little overwhelming, even if they are weak. 12 daggers doing one point of damage is still going to be a lot, especially if you can only attack one of them per turn, you know, and so and it delays combat and, you know, it starts to drag and it's not as fun if you're like, and you kill this person, you kill this person, you kill this person. And so one of the cool ones that we've implemented was Cleave with Malamara. She's like, well, I'm super strong as a barbarian. Is there any way that like, if this person only has two damage, but I did like 12 damage, is the 10 damage wasted? Well, they have the option rule cleave to where it go to the next enemy if they are also adjacent. So just some of those like fun optional rules. One rule that I found online, I found on Twitter years ago, and I apologize, I don't know who posted this, but they said that they had it in their own game. They call it the I know a guy rule from Empire Strikes Back. 
it's probably very popular and I'm just not in the know-how and I don't know who came up with it. And so I apologize again. But basically, allowing your players to, when they get in a moment and they don't know what to do, somebody at the table can just say, hey, I know a guy. Like Han Solo does in Empire Strikes Back where he says, I know Lando Calrissian. He's got exactly what we need. We're going to go to him. And so they had like come up with some sort of rule and like the players don't have to talk to the DM beforehand about that rule at all. So I ran this in a Curse of Crimson Throne campaign that I was running and my wife who was playing, she was like, I know a guy because they were like, what do we do? We like the players like we really don't know what to do. And so she's like, I know a guy. It's my aunt and they live in this part of the city and these are their specialties. And so the homebrew rule has them like roll some sort of like persuasion or like society check depending on the system. And depending on how well the role is, it will determine if Lando is going to punch them as soon as they show up (laughs) or if they are going to be super helpful. Like, did they end their relationship on good terms? And that way the player doesn't know what they're going to get into either. Is Darth Vader coming, but then Lando's going to save him? Or is it just all flowers and all smiles moving forward because they have the best relationship in the entire world? So that's a really fun rule. I haven't implemented an iCast Fireball. I don't feel like we've needed it. But maybe season two. Maybe you never know. Maybe season two, yeah. You got a lot of nerves showing your face around here. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Oh, Lando's such a fun character. Has there ever been a time where a player just threw this huge wrench in your plans and you had to think really quickly on your feet to make up for it or make something happen? And do you remember how it went? Remember the I know a guy rule I just talked about? That's a double-edged sword because you have no idea what's going to happen and you have to just come up with stuff completely on the fly, which goes back to prep work. The more you prep, the more you're able to improvise, right? Because if you know the city they're in or if you know relationships and people's backstories, you're able to flesh things out really quickly on the fly. In the podcast, though, there was a moment to where uh, Fleeple was listening to somebody speak and make a proposal and they were kind of a slime bag. And then Ned was just kind of like, yeah, I'm done listening. Uh, I attack. And just like in this <laughs> middle, in the middle of like this scenario where I was like, they would be fools to attack in this scenario. And he just did. And I was like, okay, thankfully it was all mechanical. And so I didn't have to worry about the mechanics too much, but I did have to quickly draw a battle map and be like, okay, uh, this is what I've talked about so far. And this is what I'm just saying the way it is. And like, <laughs> Here are innocent people over here, and here are cages, and here's pools. When something mechanical like that, you can get away with uh, improvisation with just saying, I need a, f- how about we take a bathroom break? Five, 10 minutes? That good with everybody? Okay, I won't. Furiously I won't taking go. notes. Yeah. You go ahead. You go on the bathroom break. I'll just be right here waiting for you guys. So that's inevitable. Probably like every four sessions, probably the average, I would say, maybe even less, depending on your players, where something unexpected gets thrown at you. It can be both fun and gratifying. And when you have it in the prep work, it's like, oh gosh, what am I going to come up with? And then sometimes you feel bad if you didn't feel like it was satisfying in the moment. But then when you feel like it landed, you're like, that was the most amazing thing in the world. And you just, you're like, you love DMing and you just want to do it again. Yep. Capture that lightning in the bottle. Are you a content creator who creates either audio or video content? I'm talking podcasts, TikToks, Reels, shorts, YouTube videos. If any of that applies to you, then check out episodify.com. The folks at episodify.com are ready to help you edit your work and make it awesome. 
I use episodify.com to help produce this show. And let me tell you, it has added hours back to my week. I have my weekends back. I have my nights back. I get to focus on the fun part of this show, which is talking to creators and learning more about how they run games and sharing that with you. And I get to focus less on the boring parts to me, which is the editing. So if you need help editing your shows, then check out episodify.com. Head there. The link is in my notes. And if you tell them that How Not to DM sent you, you might even get a little discount on the top on your first hours of content edited. So check it out, episodify.com. Welcome to Quickfire This week on Quickfire Chaos, Thomas and I roll some D100s on some random tables from the internet to create a scenario to roleplay together. All right, Thomas. So you want to do a city quest. Let's have your first D100 roll. Yes, here we go. Ooh, that's a 63. 63. A local merchant asks the party to deliver a note across the city. When they return for payment, the merchant doesn't remember the party. Hmm... An investigation will show that his left ring finger is now missing. Interesting. Now we're going to talk about what NPC you are playing. Okay. So the first thing is going to be the NPC's voice description. 73. Anxiously rushes through each sentence as if afraid they won't get a chance to finish. Nervous laughter is a period at the end of every sentence. (laughs) I like it. Okay, okay. Oh, good, good. Love it. Ooh, eight. Audacious, recklessly bold in defiance of convention, propriety, law, or the like. Insolent, brazen, disobedient. Last but not least. The job that they perform, giving you an idea about where we might find them, how they might be dressed, what they might be doing. 34. A dairy maid. Doesn't have to be a maid. A dairy worker of some sort. You get to decide. (laughs) Right. Okay, so someone that had a note delivered doesn't remember who I am, and you are a dairy maid somehow involved in this situation. So you get to draw whatever lines you want to make it all work together. I will play a halfling. I've been a lot of gnomes, but I haven't been that many halflings for this segment. So I'm going to be a little halfling. I'll be wearing a nice suit of armor. I'll be like a halfling of some religious persuasion. So you got all the puzzle pieces. Now you get to decide how to put them together. And I'm just going to roll with it. So uh, yeah, you set the scene and we'll jump in. So Chancer, you come to the uh, steading here. The open field where the old woman dairymaid, as she calls herself, Betsy, has given you the task promised with just one gold piece. But as you come back, something looks a little off. And uh, as you tap her shoulder, she goes, What's that? Who's what's that? Who's there? Uh, Hello? Chance? Who? Who? Yes, this is Chancer. Uh, I was the one who you asked to uh, deliver the message across the city. I have done so and am returning uh, to uh, collect my gold coin, please. And I give her a little smile and like I got a silver tooth that glints a little bit in the in the sun as I'm smiling up at her with my palm open. You're awfully small. Don't know how to trust somebody with a message for somebody so small. Who, who are you, you say? 
Uh, my name is Chancer. Uh, we spoke oh, about two hours ago. Mm, uh, I remember if I spoke with you, I remember every small person I speak to. But I, your I, name is Dairy Maid? Yes. Yeah. How'd you know my name? I'm the. Uh, because you introduced yourself not two hours ago. This uh, is. <clears throat> this is. I was delivering a message across the city um, to your daughter-in-law. Uh, you were asking her. Well, I didn't read the note, but you said <laughs> you wanted to deliver to her. Uh, your stamp has a very nice crest on it. Um, uh, uh, you well, used the uh, blue look, wax. Yes. Does look, this look, jog your look, memories? Look, sir, I've, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm happy to oblige and uh, to give you a coin just uh, for, for not bothering me. I, I, I have no idea who you are, though, but um, if you don't leave, I might have to call the authorities right now. Oh, <laughs> oh, ma madam, I assure you this is not a scam. Um, <clears throat> I wish I had uh, some sort of evidence for this uh, and that's where I she uh she she's rubbing her hand and as she's like nervously like rubbing her hands together and as you see very brazenly before she was twirling this ring but now the ring is off of her hand and she seems to be appearing and acting quite different from how you initially found her when she initially gave you this quest she's nervous she's uh laughing where before she was all business like this almost seems like a different woman. <laughs> I'm going to look around then. Does anything else seem off about the dairy farm here? Like, was there anybody here before who's not? Or is there anybody here now who wasn't? I mean, I was uh, doing okay, you know? Well, here's the weird thing. Before, uh, she was milking just the one cow, and there was uh -huh. only the one animal to state her as the dairy maid. But now, there are no cows, and there are only chickens. And you don't even hear a cow mooing. You don't, like... It's almost as if the dairy maid would confuse her you if she had introduced herself this way. But she answered to it. Which she did strange. answer okay. to it, but <clears throat> it would be like, uh, what? What is going? What is this? Uh, madam, uh, where has your cow gone? What? What cow? I, I have I have no cows here. I, I mean, <laughs> if I did have a cow, for my lucky day, but uh, you know, taxes uh, and all, uh, uh, spit on the king. <laughs> Goodness. Uh, why do you call yourself dairy maid if you have not a cow? Oh, it's just my name I grew up with. <laughs> you know, uh, can't uh, choose your name. Your parents give it to you, uh, regardless of uh, how much you hate and despise them. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry for that. Uh, <laughs> Mm, madam, um, uh, look, I will not take your gold right now, but perhaps you should go inside and sit down for a little bit. Perhaps I can make you a cup of tea and you can uh, rest your feet. No, it's, it's just, uh, you don't need to come into my home. This is my establishment and uh, I'd be happy to call the guards on you still uh, if you don't uh, leave my property. And as she's like slowly backing away, you see the ring is actually, that she was wearing is on sort of like this ledge, this windowsill. As she's like backing away, her hand just kind of like touches it, like grazes across it. And she, um, as she does, her demeanor like changes and her voice is like just slightly, slightly before her hand quickly like pulls off of it. Uh, okay, is she like backing into her house? Yeah, so she's like, you're approaching her and she's like, no, no, uh, you can't come in here because you're a stranger. And so she's like walking in, <laughs> uh, her and glances, uh, brushes past the ring. And there's that just slight momentary change in her before her hand leaves the ring. And she goes back to her old crazy dairy maid chicken owning self. 
Okay, uh, I'm gonna start just like slowly taking steps back to show her that yeah. I'm leaving. Okay, and wait, good. Wait till she get. Is she gonna get inside the house or? Is yeah, she gonna she's stay? she's gonna start like starting to close the door as you okay. like, get further away, and she's just staring at you. I will wait until the door shuts. Does she have any windows that have like a good vantage point outside? I mean, the one right by the door. In fact, as she shuts the door, she pokes her head to the window. And she's just staring at you right by the front door. And this is also uh, the window where the ring is on the outside uh, of the windowsill. And so okay. she's just kind of like staring at you like, uh, what are you going to do? <laughs> uh, do I think I could run faster than the dairymaid, <laughs> given my short legs? I mean, the halflings are lucky, so uh, you, might, you might try it. That's true. I'm going to bolt for the ring and then try mm. to take it back to her daughter-in-law mm. and see if she has any idea about what's going on. Ah, so as you bolt to the ring, she, uh, you're charging, your your armor's clank, 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 uh, shuffling around, yes. and you're trying to, like, hold it together, but she had locked the five locks on the door, so she's, like, frantically, like, trying to unlock yes. as she sees you charging, and as you jump to grab the ring, you start running away, and you're like, I gotta go get to her daughter-in-law, and as you turn the corner and start running through the city, you just hear this voice come inside your head and be like, Ah, I see that you happen to be my new owner. Oh, no. <laughs> Scene. <laughs> oh, geez. I got myself in trouble this time. Yep. There you go. There you <laughs> go. Some of the most fun ones are the ones that like end on this super creepy or like ominous note. Yeah. A couple seasons ago, I had Ron Ogden on from uh, the dungeon run. And he like okay. did this whole thing about him being a doppelganger and like, murdering people in the city and but he was disguised and so i like mm-hmm. was trying to help him figure out who the murderer was or who the next victim was he led me straight to the victim's house killed the person in front of me and then just like left me at the crime scene and i'm just like <laughs> oh and that, that was it like <laughs> wow that's the little, good the little stories that can be weaved in these, in oh. these few minutes are incredible we've talked a little bit about i cast fireball already but can you tell us a little bit about where it came from how you got the idea and how it is going so far for you. Yeah, so I cast Fireball, like I said before, is an actual play 5e D&D podcast where we just go through a pre-generated adventure like Tyranny of Dragons. That's the one that we started off. And I say we go through it, but I should caveat now that we're quite a ways. We've added other adventures from other source books like Candlekeep Mysteries. And we've added a, like homebrew missions that are nowhere to be found except for just our podcast. So we really use Tyranny of Dragons as a framework and pull all the good things from it and see what other good things we can add to it. We are a non-explicit podcast. Uh, that was one thing that I found. I loved listening to actual play D&D podcasts, but a lot of the ones that I felt had compelling stories or compelling character developments, they had a lot of uh, explicit content, which I didn't enjoy listening to on repeat and binging all day, every day, right? I preferred some sort of variety or something that I could turn on and listen to at home with my wife or my kids accidentally overhearing and not feeling like I had to worry or censor myself in front of my kids. And so that was the kind of the goal. Uh, obviously, in D&D, violence is a thing, but we set out trying to be as non-explicit as we possibly could in the given context, depending on the story. And I just pulled a bunch of my friends and it basically started off being like, hey, I trust these three people uh, and we've played a lot and we've done improv stuff before in college as well. And let's just try it out. 
So we started recording in 2020, releasing in 2021, and it's been going fantastic. It's been amazing since. Oh, I guess I should say we're about 80, 90 episodes in almost. That's just season one. And we have a bunch of like uh, side episodes where we like introduce ourselves, kind of talk about our classes, our races. We call them Crunch Squad or Meet and Geek and things like that. But it's a lot of fun. We try to release every week. I think Mickey says we have successfully released every week since 2021, which is quite difficult. Especially during holidays and summers and those busy times when everybody's life is going different directions. Yeah. So you had obviously listened to a few actual plays before you decided to start Agcast Fireball. Are there any in particular that really spoke to you or influenced you in deciding to do this? And are there any that really influenced your style of running games, do you feel like? Yeah, I can point to one. When it comes to creating the podcast and the format of the podcast, I don't say we're original at all because it's pretty much we copied what we loved, which was Sneak Attack. Sneak Attack was an amazing, is an amazing podcast. They're not doing live episodes or new episodes anymore, but is amazing D&D content and sci-fi content, actually, for their second season. A ton of fun. Their one shots are amazing. And me and Ned, who's a player in iCast Fireball, we were listening at the same time. I jumped into Sneak Attack when they released episode like 103. And so I binged all 103. uh, And their first season only has like 142 or something like that. So you caught up before they finished that first season? Yes, I caught up. Absolutely. It was just a fun binge. And it really was like lightning in a bottle what they had. Uh, They were great friends first. And they just wanted to sit down and play like a consistent home game. And that's kind of how we approached iCast Fireball. We're like, well, are we in this for the money? No. Are we in this for the fame? No. Do we just want to play D&D with each other? Yeah. And uh, all the groups I had beforehand, the campaigns always fizzled out due to life and people making that excuse. And so I was like, I need performer friends to understand that this is a performance and a commitment and they can't stop until we finish the first campaign. And so that was the big impetus of starting iCast Fireball. And it was all going back to Sneak Attack of like, that's the whole reason why they started. They just wanted to, and they thought it was a lot of fun, and they just kept doing it. So Reed, Kelsey, Mike, Josh, all, everybody over there. I mean, Danny, thanks so much. You were the inspiration for us starting our podcast. And you're not the first person to uh, cite them as an influence. And both Josh and Reed have made it onto my show in the past, uh, which was a lot of fun. And I mean, it's no surprise. I mean, uh, I mean, we got Josh. We asked Josh to be a guest character on iCast Fireball as well, because we just loved Sneak Attack's work so much. And he was the one that had uh, open DMs on Twitter that I could uh, message him about. <laughs> so. Yep, that's how I got into. Sorry, Josh. <laughs> you might have had to get a lot of people reaching out to you, maybe. <laughs> it's funny because his character, Ralph, is still sowing seeds of influence to the most recent episode, which is a good time. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure that's fun for you. It is. It's a ton of fun to see how Ralph still influences the party to this day. Is he the BBEG? I mean, we'll just have to wait. We'll just have to wait and see. <laughs> I can't spoil anything right now. I know, you're right. <laughs> yeah, if I do it now, I'll have to credit Derek here for ICAST Fireball finale. Forget Tiamat. Yeah, yeah, forget Tiamat. Let's be honest. If you were to start iCast Fireball today from scratch, what would you change about the way you approached it and like the decisions you made and uh, you know how it kind of started? And what would you keep the exact same? Honestly, I would keep most of the things the same. 
I love the adventure. A lot of people ask me like, why Tyranny of Dragons? That was the first one for 5e. It's not written very well. And I'm like, that is correct. It is not written as well as a bunch of other adventures. And I've done a bunch of like intrigue campaigns. I've done a lot of like goblins. I've even done a little bit of giants, but it's Dungeons and Dragons. All right. And I need dragons in my campaign. And that was more of a selfish reason. But a lot of the things for iCast Fireball, I would keep most of the stuff the same. What I might do And this would be like if we had all the time in the world, if we had all the resources, is I would probably do a mini campaign, maybe like 12 episodes before recording the actual campaign that we would start releasing. That way, all of the players would get to know each other because I don't think any of them had played with each other. Well, I think Jacob and Mickey had, but Ned hadn't played with anybody before. And we could really try to understand how each of us play D&D on like a semi-professional level, or even just like, what do we gravitate towards the most? Because there was definitely some uh, good growing pains at the beginning of our podcast of like trying to figure out what we enjoyed about D&D, because that's the ultimate experience that we all want. We want to play a game that each of us enjoy. So what is that element? And what can I bring to the table to make sure that that happens? And there were some episodes where we had talkbacks with each other being like, yeah, that just wasn't as fun for me and be like, okay, yeah, now I know. But if we had done like a mini campaign, but like I said, all the time, all the resources, all of the amazing stuff. Mickey still says that she cringes at the recordings and the editing at the beginning of this campaign. But honestly, I think she did a fantastic job right just from day one. I'll shout out Mickey. I retribute a lot of iCast Fireball success to Mickey specifically on how she slaved over the first 10 to 12 episodes in particular to making sure they were just right and she was satisfied and they had the right sounds because if you start off with bad audio, I mean, people are going to check out pretty quick. It doesn't matter if episode 50 has good audio. If episode one through 49 has terrible and it's an ongoing story, they're going to check out. And so that I really attribute Mickey to making sure that our audio was good. And that was her goal. I feel like we had a lot of the good pieces right at the beginning, but yeah. Yeah. I'm going to have to go back and listen just to see if I notice anything. <laughs> oh, no. Mickey's going to kill me. No, no, no. I, I will not say a word to her. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm just interested for my own research. Sorry, Mickey. Um, <laughs> no, it's good. And, you know, I, I wouldn't change a lot because a lot of the things that we learned along the way helped get us to where we are. And so it's kind of like about the journey is where you really learn and where you really grow. And I feel like if we were to start off with all of the things that we have learned we might not appreciate them as an indie podcast, right? Or we might not hold true to a lot of our morals and our standards of like production quality and things like that. And we would try to sacrifice, which would hurt the podcast overall. So there's nothing cringeworthy other than my own DMing that I'm like, I wish I could go back and do that. But when it comes to the podcast, I'm really pleased and happy with how it's turned out. And it's how it's still going. By this point, my first time recording myself having run a game will probably be out, not on my feed, but on someone else's feed running my two hot one shot. And I am very much looking forward to exactly that. Like, oh, what did I do? Why did I do that? Like, I've never done that before other than like specifically remembering dumb stuff or, you know, mistakes I've made and like reliving them. But like hearing every little piece, like everything I've said, I haven't done that. So it's about to get interesting. (laughs) I'll call you and ask you for support. (laughs) Right. The only thing I would say I would go and hammer back into my brain is mic technique to make sure that I'm talking into the mic instead of talking away like this, where it's very noticeably different. 
Yeah, I did not do a good job of that. I know that's going to be a problem because <laughs> I would catch myself all the time doing this and talking to people and then doing this and talking to people. And I'm like, oh, I, I, this is a podcast. Like, I have a podcast. <laughs> but also, when I run games, I'm all over the place, right? Yeah. And I'm not used to being locked in here. So, oh, yeah. Habits. That's going to be fun. Okay. As far as running games on a show versus running them for fun and running pre-published stuff versus homebrew, what are some of the big differences in your mind of these kind of contrasting things? Well, I think it's important to recognize and maybe not necessarily with iCast Fireball, but I know with like Critical Role, they're like, I could never do that. I could never be a player. Oh my gosh. They And they idolize them so much. And I'm like, in some instances, I'm like, rightly so. Matthew Mercer does a phenomenal job, but there is a huge difference between performing Dungeons and Dragons and then playing Dungeons and Dragons. And I think when people talk about the Mercer effect or when they talk about other things, I think that's the big line of like, if you can separate performance D&D with actual play at the table for fun D&D, then I think you're okay. Because that was a big moment when I was prepping for iCast Fireball and even like the first 16 episodes where I was like, okay, like I was trying to be performance and stuff, you know, just separating that and being like, those are two entirely different D&Ds. When I play home D&D, things go so chaotic so quickly. And that's what I love doing. I love just like bringing in kooky characters that I make up on the spot. I love just bringing up far-fetched situations that go nowhere and then they leave and leaves the players confused. And if they chase (laughs) after it, then I pursue it. But, you know, like just giving them a lot of options of like fun stuff and just like whatever's passing through my brain. I love doing that stuff, which is obviously totally different from performance D&D and any sort of actual play podcast. You can't always throw random stuff in the mix because then your listeners going to be like, I can't follow this. What's going on? And even your players going to be like, dude, but I was just having a heart to heart going on, you know? And so that's one of the big things uh, that I find different from performance D&D. And I love both of them. They have amazing merit to both of them. I've cried and had so many emotional moments DMing iCast Fireball. And I've also cried and had so many emotional moments, but usually tears of laughter when I've run my chaotic homebrew or home games. Yeah. Yeah. This is a ton of fun. When I, you know, realized that Matt Mercer like spent like, that's like one of his jobs, you know, like he spends hours a week writing, you know, he's got people who help him write it. He's got people who help him build these crazy sets. And I have like the hour before we're going to play to myself to like, you know, read through the whatever really fast and decide what we're going to do. So yeah, it's uh, you're right. Very much different skills. And uh, it's a healthy mentality to separate them and realize what you're good at. All right. What is the division of labor like for your show? I know you've mentioned Mickey's the one who does all of the editing. She adds in all of music, the sound effects and all that stuff. She does a phenomenal job. But yeah, what about the other members of your team? You know, what do they help contribute to help the show succeed? Everything administratively gets approved by all the players and myself. So I'm not like the overlord or whatever. Everything that we decide, like when it comes to release schedule, when it comes to any sort of like Patreon or like uh, distribution of funds or whatever, like it all gets approved by the board is what I'll call them, which is just us, me and the players. But yeah, Mickey, she has graciously volunteered and it didn't start out that way. I felt bad trying to give for somebody the responsibility of editing our episodes 
but we just found out with our workflow that Mickey was like, no, I like, I was going to do like a first pass and then pass it off to Mickey for like sound effects. And she's like, Thomas, I think it's just gonna be faster if I do it. And I was like, yeah, you're right. I'm pretty slow and bad at this. And uh, so she graciously <laughs> is doing all of the story episodes and she's done some of our like uh, bonus episodes, but I typically try to do those since they don't require like any sound effects, especially if it's just two people can be pumped out pretty quickly. So Ned is uh, very good at a lot of our administrative stuff to making sure our episodes actually get released through Podbean and things like that. Coming up with the descriptions, our website, Jacob is uh, really good as our social media person, posting and getting all that, responding. We get a lot of emails, which we try to all jump in. Ned does a lot of the emails, but if any listeners don't know, we now have a Patreon for iCast Fireball. So announcement if you haven't heard it before but in the announcement uh, one of the tiers is a discord and the reason why we wanted to do a discord which everybody's contributing to is to break that barrier like make it one step closer to where we could actually directly interact with fans because i always wanted to interact with people through email but i felt like i really wanted to actually just write a novel whenever i responded to somebody and be like this is my idea and like here's some pictures and here's an image and like oh what about this have you if you tried thinking about this but i'm like I can't do that because I got to prep, you know, I got to prep for the games and I've got to do X, Y, or Z. But in a discord, which we now have, it's uh, really allowed us to just open that gates. And anytime during the day, I can be like, oh, I've got that at home. Give me a second. And I can private message people. And so it's really allowed us to interact with the fans a lot more. But we all have some sort of little responsibility. I will say Mickey's probably the majority. Mickey is what makes this podcast run. She's the reason why we still have a podcast because if it were me, Ned and Jacob, we probably wouldn't be releasing weekly and definitely not have the success which uh, the fans have been giving to us. Yeah, editing is honestly, yeah, it's a big lift. It's a huge lift, especially with all the sound effects she does. And like, she'll message us and be like, I swear, if one of you barf in our games one more time, I will punch you through the screen because I had to go listen to two hours worth of barfing on the internet. And I'm like, ugh. (laughs) <laughs> but that's the commitment she has and she brings to her role. And I'm like, gosh, I mean, props to you, Mickey. That is, I mean, like I said, she's the one that makes us look fantastic. Well done. I promise I won't nitpick your editing, Mickey. <laughs> I promise. You're nearing the completion of your first story arc. I don't know how many episodes you've got left, but I'm assuming that you're probably getting close. Everyone's getting higher level here. The thread is growing. So what are your plans for the future of iCast Fireball this season? And then you did mention a season two, so I don't want to hold you to that or anything. Hold away. That's not a saying, but um, you can expect some uh, fun stuff from iCast Fireball. We are hoping to be near the end of season one of iCast Fireball. And season one is not going to be the end of iCast Fireball for sure. When season one's finale will come, we're not going to hold us ourselves to a hard and self-date. We want to make sure that story develops naturally. But there are things that I'm doing in the background and I'm discussing with my players are like, hey, can we leave this thread maybe unfulfilled? Or do you need this fulfilled to see how many episodes we should plan for? But will they stop the cult of the dragon is the big question. And will there be any sacrifice that needs to be made in doing so? So stay tuned for that. Season one will definitely go through the end of this year, 2023 maybe into a little bit of 2024, but soon into 2024, we're hoping to start season two. Before I jump into season two, though, I do want to make an exclusive announcement, which may not be so exclusive for anybody that's listened to last week's episode with Ned, one of my players, but I cast Fireball with our Patreon. We just recently launched quarter three of 2023, but we do have plans and we have actually been recording 
a secondary side campaign somewhat related to iCast Fireball's adventure. It's a new format. We've been experimenting with a lot of stuff. If you're looking for fun content that uh, is also actual play still, you can look for one of our tiers in a future Patreon tier. It's not going to be out yet. We're still getting things prepped, but we are wanting to continue to publish and wanting to have a secondary unrelated campaign that you can listen to as well. So have essentially two actual plays that you can listen at the same time for our Patreon supporters there. So be on the lookout for those announcements. We will be blasting that to the high heavens uh, when we do actually go live with that. But you can expect that in 2023 sometime near the end. Is Mickey also editing those? (laughs) That's a good question. I cast Fireball, the main campaign will always be free. It will never be behind any sort of like pay blocking. So the main campaign will always be free with me, Jacob, and Mickey, and Ned. And Mickey is just just editing that one. (laughs) So we want to make sure she has all the time and resources to do that. But yeah, some sort of like the new format that we're doing with this new side campaign. You'll have to just check it out and see how the editing process went and how how it goes. I am very curious now. (laughs) All right. That's uh, what to expect. But then we do have a season two that we haven't talked about. And I'm going to be tight-lipped just for a bit for that. But you can expect season two to be a lot of fun. And uh, just uh, get ready for some high adventure. High adventure. I like it. All right. What are your parting words here of wisdom, advice, encouragement, etc.? for all of the aspiring and old and crusty and jaded DMs and GMs out there. <laughs> well, first off, for any listeners who just enjoy actual campaigns, D&D campaigns, I'd be remiss to not suggest a few. Sneak Attack, obviously, being the big one. Titans of Altera is a wonderful one as well. And then finally, the Dungeon Run. I loved the Dungeon Run. Quite a few of the first episodes are a little bit of a different format because they were on uh, Caffeine, I believe, uh, that streaming service there. But it's ton of fun they really commit themselves to it so go check all those out but when it comes to just dungeon mastering the only advice i can give is just from my own dumb mistakes and the big one is to don't take yourself too seriously as a dungeon master because you're not as big of a deal as you thought uh <laughs> at least that's uh how, what the realization i had to come to when i first started dungeon mastering i saw matthew mercer and i was like i want to be like that i want to tell crafting stories and i want my players to interact the way they are if you're aching for your players to interact in a certain way and they just aren't, you definitely shouldn't take it out on them and uh, you need to stop <laughs> taking yourself so seriously. That was something I definitely had to come to terms with and being like, no, it's just fun. It's just a fun game, you know? And so you'll have those moments. They'll come as you keep working on it and as your players keep working on it, they will. So if that's what you're searching for, just be patient. The other thing is to just, uh, just really just have fun. If you're not having fun at the table, then something's wrong and probably should start by looking at the mirror and seeing what you can do to bring fun to the table at the very least for yourself. There's a lot of moments in ICAS Fireball where I was like, you know, this has been a great arc, but I just want to have some fun. So I throw in a random candlekeep adventure about a silo, which has possibly uh, evocation magic to it, which had nothing to do with the main campaign other than the fact of like, I just wanted to run something super fun as a dungeon master. And so just inject <laughs> fun where you can. And if you're not having fun, find out how you can do that and ask your players for that help too. your players. I guess that's another thing I would say It's probably the last thing I'll say. So I don't get too long winded, but your players are really your biggest and best resource to making sure everybody's having a good time. It's not the books. It's not a cool plot point from critical role. It's not this book that you read when you were a kid. 
the best resource are your players at the table because you can tell the most satisfying stories with your players than you can ever tell by yourself. Excellent. I love it. Last but not least, where can we find iCast Fireball? You mentioned your Patreon. You know, what are the links? How can we find all of this stuff on socials? And then, yeah, your release schedule, that kind of thing, when people want to check out iCast Fireball. Yeah, absolutely. Our main campaign is on all of the uh, podcatchers of your choice, Apple, Spotify. Those are our two big ones, but you can go on Podbean, Podchaser. We get a lot of comments through there as well. But you can find it on pretty much every podcast service that you can gravitate towards. Google Play, I think, even does it as well. So you can find us there at iCast Fireball. We release every Wednesday, whether it's a main story campaign or whether it's a side episode, we are going to be releasing something every Wednesday. You can reach us at our social medias, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. YouTube, we're also doing our audio-only podcasts on there right now. And uh, Instagram, at iCastFireball20. Our email, iCastFireball2020 at gmail.com. And our Patreon, patreon.com slash iCastFireball20. So uh, pretty much on all of those. And we've got some really fun interaction in that Discord. I highly encourage you guys to uh, jump on in if you haven't already and to be on the lookout for some really fun tiers. We're hoping to have some really, really like good ones that people can to really encourage a lot more interaction with us, the cast as well. So be on the lookout. Well, I certainly will. I'm already in the Discord, and so it's, it's going to be tempting. Thank you so much for joining me, Thomas. It's been a blast. I love chatting with you uh, in the times that we've met before this. Thomas and I have actually met in real life in the world a few times, and uh, it's it's always great to see his smiling face and to chat about whatever we've got on our minds. So Mostly data analysis, but you know, yes. we, sometimes we talk about D&D. <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Thomas, yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate you joining me, and I hope everyone will go check out iCast Fireball if they haven't already and enjoy the awesome story. Thanks for having me, Derek. Thank you for listening to How Not to DM. Now let's hear a sneak peek of next week's guest, GM Justin. If you want to get into GMing, learn your system, Come up with an adventure with something very bare bones and run it. It's not going to be perfect. And if you've played before, you know that the players will come up with something off the wall and you just kind of got to go with it. To hear more of Justin's awesome advice about running games professionally and more, tune in next week. If you enjoyed this episode or if you've ever enjoyed any of my episodes, a great way to support How Not to DM is by leaving me a review either on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Podchaser or Good Pods. If you're looking for other ways to support the show, you can check out my Linktree, linktree.com slash HN the number 2DM, or in the episode notes, as always, you can drop me a tip on PayPal or on Ko-fi, or you can buy something through my affiliate links, which will give me a percentage of the sale thereby helping me keep running the show. I have an affiliate link with 1985 Games. They sell a bunch of cool 2D terrain that you can carry around with you wherever you need to go, along with a bunch of other different kinds of game supplements. You could buy a t-shirt or a mug or a flag at gemmedfirefly.com. You could buy some new dice from Adventure Dice. They're a smaller dice maker based in Canada. Really good friends, and they have some awesome offerings. Coming up soon, they're going to be selling their advent calendars, which are a big seller. Advent calendars for the holiday seasons for those geeks in your life who would love to open up and get a new dice for every day of the holiday that you plan on celebrating. That'll be 10% off at Adventure Dice. I love Adventure Dice. I've got a few of the sets myself. I get sets for my players every Christmas just because it's a fun thing to give and get as a geek. 
And I also have links for Hero Forge where you can build your own 3D printable characters. You can buy them pre-painted or you can buy them unpainted. You can also buy the STFL files and print them yourself. Also, I've got links to DMs Guild and DriveThru if you're planning on buying any new games or modules or anything like that in the coming future. So those are a few ways you can support me. Check those out again in my link tree and you can find that in my episode notes or at linktree.com slash HN, the number two DM. That was a lot, but I appreciate you for listening through it. Until next time, roll some Nat 20s for me.